I've been sober for about three years now nice. and uh, from alcohol, cocaine and nicotine. So I'm very pleased to say that um, after 40 years of hardcore addiction, I started when I was in eighth grade. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I, I changed everything. It almost died. Um, so my story is episode one of the Dismantle Life podcast. And oh, okay. I listened so, to some of the stories there, but I didn't see yours. Yeah, mine was the first one. Anthony uh-huh. dragged across the rocks at the bottom. And it it was a turning point for me, like it is for everyone in recovery, right? The, but the moment was pretty drastic. I nearly died. I had a terrible infection that my body couldn't fight off. That turned into staff. The doctors are like, you're not going to make it. Like you're, wow. you're going to die in the hospital <laughs> essentially. Oh um, and I made it, I made it. I, I literally begged for one more chance to get my shit together. And I made it out alive after 11 days and wow. been clean three years. And I exercise, I've lost 30 pounds, 35, 30 pounds wow. exercise every day, three times a day, seven days a week. And which is part and parcel for part of getting healthy. But then part of giving back because I found so much joy in sobriety and recovery is the podcast, because I think that a lot of times people don't know that there are others just like them or others in worse situations than they are. And they feel that they're alone. And I think part of the podcast for me is to give back so people can learn from other people that have won the fight or winning the fight. You're never really done fighting the fight, but in that regard. And then the other piece is that let them know that they're not alone. That's a big, big thing in the shame of it. I'm trying to make the shame go away because we all carry that little nugget of, right. I hate to say it like this, but, but you feel kind of like a piece of shit, you know, and, and I want to make that go away. So the people know that they're not alone and you can do it no matter where you, it doesn't matter where you start. It's where you end. It's, yeah. it's the finish line that you cross is that that's what matters. Um, mm-hmm. And this podcast is, I'm a little, I feel bad about it a little bit because I've, I feel like I've gotten more out of it than my listeners and my guests. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Good you know, you. but I, um, I'm so grateful that you you're on the show. Uh, I'm fascinated, uh, Suzanne, to learn more about your book and your professional career around recovery, because you do lots of very cool things. So if it's okay, I'm going to just review your, your CV for just a second. Sure. Um, sure. So currently, you have two roles, one adjunct professor at, P- at Plymouth State University, where you teach drug behavior, um, right. organize and arrange expert guest speakers around that to your students, which is wonderful. And then you have the addiction treatment recovery consultant, where you work with agencies to develop addiction programs to educate right. staff uh, right. and help them fall in line and stay in line with state and federal regulations. Right. And then you also, there's and there's more to your CV than that, but that's at the top of the list. And then I mean, by top of the list, I mean the most current. Um, and then you have also Chem Free Sobriety 101, Trailblazers, share wisdom and insight about natural recovery from substance use disorders. And I think this is tremendously interesting because first of all, I love the cover because a big part of my recovery was somatic in my efforts where I just exercised. And I'm curious to see what your chem-free sobriety looks and feels like. So thank you so very much for coming on the show. Yes. So um, part of, it's interesting to hear some of your story because part of why I wrote this book is um, a lot of the funding that came into our state and to other states um, was all medication oriented. And I was starting to be like, what's going on here? When you talk about sobriety 
like I've always known, I've been sober 33 years and I've always known natural recovery. You know, you don't drink and you don't take addictive drugs, yeah. whether it be prescribed or not, because the tendency to be off and running on whatever drug it is. I mean, we have the disease of more, right? right. <laughs> One's never enough. Exactly. And so when I started hearing about medication as the norm versus natural recovery and that these folks who were coming into recovery were being put on medication and told they had to be on it for life. It totally, I was like, where are we? What planet right. are we on? Um, because when you're on that medication and, and I'm speaking mostly of uh, Suboxone and Methadone and a lot of times people are, were getting uh, benzodiazepines um, which can be used to with people in withdrawal to, to wean people off. Um, but these are all, you know, people started coming into our facilities saying they're, we always would ask what's your drug of choice, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's alcohol or Coke or heroin, whatever it was. But I started to hear Suboxone. Mm -hmm. The drug of choice was Suboxone. And, um, and it just was blowing my mind. I was like, what's going on here? And then I'm hearing doctors. I was sitting with a bunch of people in recovery who were also in uh, treatment providers. And a doc came in who never did recovery work before to talk to us about Suboxone. And he said, you know, this is a chronic illness, so they have to be on medication for life. And we're all just sitting around going, whoa, 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 because we know too well that there are millions of people out there that are not taking medication and were heroin addicts. Um, granted, we have fentanyl and some folks are like, well, they should be on something to get off of the fentanyl. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to, but that's okay. You know, yeah. um, whatever, you know, I'm not against medication, but I'm just saying that there are natural ways to recover and you don't have to have medication. Some folks for their withdrawals, you know, um, I mean, we've been giving, not we, meaning the medical society had sure. been giving uh, benzodiazepines to withdraw from alcohol for years, you know? So it isn't, it isn't anything new. And Suboxone had been around and Methadone had been around, but all of a sudden we've got, you know, pharmaceutical companies, first of all, who destroyed people and their lives yeah. with, with uh, fentanyl and, uh, Oxycontin and all of that stuff, and and now what's what's happened is there's so much to say. Um, we've switched from that to now it's Suboxone and Methadone, and if you look at the stock market, <laughs> people had a lot of stock in in opiates, and uh, and when the everybody started dying and people were freaking out all over the place, we saw the stock market go down. And yeah. the only way to get that back up is if you continue to provide opiates, right? Yeah, it just makes me sick. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's so true. And in, in, uh, I totally understand what you're saying. But it it's appalling at levels I can't fully describe. And I don't have a position to make a difference yet. I hope to someday, but I don't, I'm not there yet. But yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think I am all for medication to serve a purpose to help right. people come down as it were. Right. But I think jumping out of the frying pan into the fire is very dangerous. And like you described, we are all addicts of more. <laughs> if one's good, 22 has got to be better. <laughs> so right. it's uh it's a little scary. And 
I did. I I came. I I recovered clean, meaning I didn't use anything. I I I didn't. In fact, I even intentionally didn't chew gum or lollipops or candy and stuff like that because I didn't. I knew that I would just replace. I did that with gum. I got TMJ. When I first stopped, the doctor's like, stop chewing gum. I couldn't. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I don't have a choice. This is what I do know. It's big red. It's either big red or alcohol. You pick. (laughs) And yeah. And I had, so I, I intentionally, I, I just kind of gritted my teeth and went the organic route. Maybe chem free is a better way to put it, but yeah. And it worked for me, but it doesn't work for everybody. So I think that there's a place for people to use the right drugs at the right pace, but I don't think a lifetime prescription is the way to go. I mean, well, in none of the 101 people that I, that I uh, interviewed in this book agreed with long-term. Um, you know, there are many who just say, well, you know, that's up to them, whatever they want to do. But no one said, I think it's a good idea that they be on it for life. And these are all people in, in recovery and, and, most of the people have over 10 years of sobriety in this book. No oh. alcohol, no drugs. And um, there, are, there are over uh, seven people with 40 years of sobriety. So I wanted, when I, when I wrote this book, I, I, you know, I was so blown away by the amount of medication that was being doled out and um, people were selling it. They were, you know, I mean, if you read the book, you'll hear of some some of the folks who had experience with it and what they were doing, you know, uh, and I don't want to give away information sure. that'll help others use, but, um, you know, they would drink on it, they would sell it, they would, um, you know, know that the day that they had to go in and get tested, you know, they'd play with their medication. Like I'd, I, they'd take, you know, a lot before, you know, at once and then not take it for a couple of days, but they'd take other drugs, you know, things right. that they weren't being, te- that wouldn't come up on a test when they would go in to get their next dose, you know, or sure. the next pound. But I wanted to make sure I had a large number of people because I knew it wasn't just me. I knew it wasn't just me that was like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And, um, and I wanted to make sure that we were really stressing what is natural recovery? What is chem Because we were starting to get, I had a Vivitrol guy. Vivitrol is a shot that you get once a month. It's naltrexone, uh, which is a, it's like an anti-craving it keeps you from um, getting high if you if you use it's a it's it's not addictive. Um, but I had him say to me, Sue, what's going on here? You can't you can't talk about chem free sobriety. You can't talk about you know not using medication. I said, I know it's weird. <laughs> it's weird that we're we're saying I don't want to take any medication. I don't want to I don't want to take any drugs. I want to just be living life on life's terms that's weird you know for 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 us to say that's weird that's that's bizarre so yeah i said i'm not the only one doing this i know i'm not the only one thinking this so i said i've got to and i've always wanted to write a book my whole life i've always wanted to write a book and i and i did at one point but didn't get it published um on addiction too because i've been you know dealing with it for so long. And so I knew that I couldn't just get a few people and I knew I couldn't get them in one section of New Hampshire. So I went all over New Hampshire 
you know, and, and up in the northern part of New Hampshire it was very weird because I walked into the store there, one store, and, <laughs> and I said, do you have anybody in recovery up here that I can talk to? And they're like, you know, what's that? I said, well, somebody that's not drinking or using drugs. Oh, I don't know anybody. Like, well, who would you refer people to? Right. I don't know anybody. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my God, what's going on up here? I'm like in the twilight zone, you know? Right. So that's that's what I, I set out on a journey. I set out on a journey. This is a a year-long journey, um, finding people, interviewing them, and then putting it all together into one book. Uh, it was quite a task for the first book. <laughs> I would imagine. I mean, because I think that a lot of the norms in the status quo in terms of recovery processes has leaned into medication so heavily. And I think that, um, and not, not to throw a wrench in the conversation, but I, I think the use of marijuana and whatever of its form has thrown a curveball to what is or isn't a, a drug in that you need to be recovered from. And, and I, listen, I am all for the healing resources of marijuana in whatever form and people can use it or not. I don't, um, but so that's the other layer too, right? I think that there's some consideration that needs to be done there. And I, I, I do believe that a lot of the states are legalizing it for the revenue stream. I don't think that they oh, care two shits at all about all anybody. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and the, the problem is that, you know, if you look at my uh, Facebook page, you'll see a couple of de debates that I get into with, with some folks and uh, <laughs> marijuana is one of them. Marijuana right. is addictive and, and some, oh, it's not addictive. And if you had a problem, you'd be smoking it too. And I'm like, no, I don't think I would. You know, right. um, yeah. I mean, if I had to, if there wasn't any other choice, but there's been a lot of choices over the years, you know? Definitely. Yeah. So why all of a sudden marijuana? They're white collar drug dealers. That's what it is. You know? <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And and quite frankly, like the and listen, I, I don't judge. People can do whatever they want. It just for me, I'm speaking from my perspective. I have I have one of those uh bowling pin addictions where if I have one drink, I'm going to buy cocaine and I'm smoking. And if I do <laughs> coke, you know, I, I yeah. have to, I can't do anything because if right. one time the pin goes over, forget about it. It's over. And I don't, if I, I tried pot a few times, I've never liked it. It makes me crazy and it makes me say whatever I'm thinking out loud. And yeah. I don't know that I'm saying it out loud. So people are like, what'd you say? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't say anything. And no matter what it is, and it's random, <laughs> it's random high guy shit too. It's not, it, it, there's no mystique to it. I just sound right. like a crazy person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So you know that, you know? I, yeah, uh, absolutely. My wife used to think, Articulate you know, like, that. <laughs> yeah, she's like, what? what are you talking about? So I, but I, I can't, because I know that that would be the first domino to fall. I would get addicted to it. And then it would lead to worse things for me. Um, right. But right. I know that there are people that use it for anxiety and other things. And God bless. If it works, right. it works. Right. I'm not here to judge. Uh, okay. In fact, I, that's one thing about the show. I say, listen, I, people can recover how they need to recover. If that's a 12-step program, if they want to do it independent, just recover. Right. Um, and I'm curious, so did you get, do you get resistance from the medical community because of a chem-free approach? Do, do they get annoyed with this? I mean, how, how do oh, they I'm receive? Sure. I'm sure. I, ha I haven't, um, I've had a couple of people, <laughs> I've had a couple of people write to me, like um, one lady wrote, she was a therapist. 
which I thought was odd, but she wrote, <laughs> uh, you know, something like she was mad at me for doing this. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I knew that was going to happen. I don't right. even care because I know the truth. The truth is you can recover. People do recover and they don't have to use an addictive drug to do it. Um, do I think that people may need medication? Is it necessary? Sure, sure. If that's what of you course. want to do, whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not knocking people. I'm just saying there's a path that you can take that doesn't include that. And um, I had, I had actually, I had a doctor who, um, who I used to work with, um, who's, who's a Suboxone prescriber. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he was like all for it and probably has read the book. I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, but he did say, Sue, there is a time and a place. And I said, I have no problem with that. I just want people to know that they don't have to use it if they don't want to. And he, he's always been totally for that. So, but you know, there are plenty of people who I'm sure, um, are, are upset with it, but you know, you can't please everybody. Right. (laughs) <laughs> no, you, you absolutely can't. And and I've right. I've learned that sobriety and recovery, much like anything else, has its divided lines in terms of what is true recovery, what isn't recovery, and um if you did or didn't do the 12 steps and whatever. I, I'm not gonna share any opinions about any of that because I like to have everyone on the show share what's worked for them, whatever that means. And and I don't hold judgment right. uh, at right. all. I, yeah. I do think that um I had one guest, the episode hasn't aired yet, but he was uh a heroin addict and he w- was able to con- keep drinking. And I thought that that was crazy. I didn't understand how that worked and I don't judge, you know, I, I, I know him from the show and personally outside of the show and, and he does pull it off. I don't know how the hell you do it though. I think that uh, it's, it's scary because it's towing the line. And I, I think that for me, I can't, like I mentioned earlier, I have to be very, very careful about what I do. In fact, I even turned into, you might kick a, I have an espresso machine. I'm Italian. We talked about that before we went on live and I, I used to make, there. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. I mean, the coffee in Naples is truly next to God. I mean, it's amazing. And, um, God herself would order coffee in Naples. I mean, there's no question about that and, and be happy to drink it. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. So I make, I have an espresso machine here, uh, a Breville, and I love it. And I would be, I started out, you know, drinking a couple of espressos in the morning. And then I started, you know, and I, I've grown up with espresso my whole life, but it got to the point after I recovered that I got out of control with it, where I was having eight, 10, 12 double espressos a day. (laughs) And and so my wife, why you weren't sleeping, I wasn't sleeping. And it it was, it truly was not quite the same, but it replaced my cocaine addiction with that jolt and that kind of that, that thing you get. Um, And you, what you just explained is cross tolerance, cross dependence. So that's, that's the tricky part about saying I can drink or I can use heroin. If you truly have the diagnosis of a substance use disorder, the chances are for you to be able to pick up another drug and run with it, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't happen. Most of those people either get addicted to the drug they picked up or they, it's not enough. So they go back to their drug of choice. And you explained it perfectly with uh, coffee. I have to be careful about because my, I, alcohol and cocaine was me too. Yeah. <laughs> I used, to, used to deal big time. Um, 
I probably shouldn't say that online, but um, they can't get me now, right? It's, they can't get you now. Long. It's been too long. It's been too um, long. There's, there's, yeah, you know. Uh, but coffee, um, coffee is a drug and it is addictive. And if I had, if I were to stop now, I'd probably, but it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't change my mood or my mind unless yeah. I drink too much or, or if, you know, I might get a headache if I don't have enough, but um, it's, it's not something that I, I consider one of those drugs that people often get out of control with and um, wind up, you know, sleeping with somebody over or, right. <laughs> you know, getting a car I started the whole story. Over. I went to Starbucks. You're not going to believe this. And I met, this, you know, it's, it's not like the Maybe normal going would. to the bar. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I had to, so what I've done is I gave up, not completely, but I limited myself. I have one yeah. cappuccino in the morning yeah. and then that's it. And I have tea in the afternoon for something warm to drink when I, cause it's cold in Chicago. And, um, and that, and so I might have two teas in the afternoon. Uh, but a green tea, very light caffeine. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm even trying to swap out in the morning. Um, yeah. So one morning I might have a cappuccino and and then the next morning I'll have a black tea. And so I'm trying to swap it out. And the reason is, I, it's funny, but I, I feel that impulse and I have to be careful. Uh, and I my addictive personality takes over no matter what it is I do, right. um, even with my somatic approach. And and I, I work, so excuse me, I box and I walk and I bike and I take yeah. that to an extreme. So I've had to like, I have to be very careful because um, that's what we do. Everything's extreme, right? It, it really so, is. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. Learning the balance. Cause you can do that. A lot of people will stop drinking, you know, get sober and then they'll work like three jobs. And I know because I did it, um, yeah. but I'm not alone in that. I mean, most people, when they stop, you know, and, and it's getting to the place where you really know your balance and different things. Um, the next book that I am, uh, almost done with it's coming out soon um is god god is in the attic and i know that word is going to piss off a lot of doctors too because you're not supposed to use that you think facebook was lighting up in the first book wait till this right? one comes out Here yeah comes. <laughs> uh, but it's about those uh first 90 days in the essentials not that other people yeah. can't learn from it but i talk about balance in there and i talk about a whole my undergrad is um health education wellness management um, so I talk about, um, you know, uh, exercise and, um, Love it. nutrition and for different, like, like, uh, you know, for cocaine and for, um, pot and for heroin and, you know, um, the different foods that'll help in those aspects. Don't ask me about them right now. Cause I, as soon as I write it down, I forget <laughs> I have to look it up again. Um, but also, you know, at, you know, coming up with a schedule and, and here's some yeah. of the things to make sure you put on your schedule, because these were all the things that I didn't know when I first got sober and it took years to figure out. So um, I put it all and condensed it into that book. I was going to make it a part of this book, but after I saw how many pages there were, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be way too expensive and nobody's going to want it. So, well, they might, but I just needed to make this a smaller book. And so I separated it. And so this is really the interviews um, with these folks. And and uh, you want me to just talk a little bit about what, what the questions were? So um, it's in alphabetical order. It's in no um, 
no other reason for doing that. It just was like, okay, how do I organize these? So you may find somebody with 40 years at the end of the book. You, you know, it's, it's one of those books where I tell people just read one a day, one story a day. Yeah. Um, but it tells the, the date of their interview, uh, their sobriety date and the years, um, just because I know if there's other folk, there's other folks out there like me that don't want to calculate. I figured I'd put the number of years. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and where they're from in New Hampshire. So they're all over New Hampshire. And um, one of the things I agreed to, instead of buying 101 books to give away, I said, I'm going to give away 5% of all net sales to uh, abstinence-based recovery. And so they all agreed. They wanted to help other people. And so the questions that I ask is, when did you start drinking or using drugs and how did it progress? And so that talks about their story. And then I talk about when was it the most out of control? And then how were you able to not drink or use daily? So I've asked them for tips for other people. And then what are your thoughts about medication assisted treatment? Again, it ran the gamut, but not one person said, I think they should use medication for life. Is there anything you want those struggling with addiction to know? So they talk about what they do daily and then they give a little nugget of, you know, some advice to people who are still struggling. Um, and again, there's 101. And then at the end of the book, one of the questions that I ask them is, what do you want lawmakers to know? So the back of the book is, um, is based, uh, uh, is for people who are making decisions for folks who have a substance use disorder, then hmm. believe it or not, when I look on who bought this book, a lot of uh, physicians. <laughs> really? So even though, it, so it may be, it may be, I had one doc say to me, Sue, I had done a, um, a program for them, uh, for their hospital. And he said, he said, Sue, um, what did he say to me? He said, I know that my fellow colleagues and I were part of what caused this epidemic, the opiate epidemic. I want to spend the rest of my life trying to change that. That's nice. It was amazing. Yeah. That's nice. And so, um, so, but, but he was like all ears, you know, this is what I think. And this is, you know, and so um, I think, I think the medical profession are, you know, they were late to the board, to the drawing board. Yeah. We didn't have, when, in New Hampshire, we had 40 overdoses back in, I think it was 99, 40, okay? We had 400, almost 500, 478 in 2000, I think it was 18. Hmm. Um, and we're still, we're still up there. Um, I think it's 415 last year, um, but, the medical profession, we, we couldn't send people for detox to a hospital. We, you know, there were very few detoxes and we would have to say, look at you, you, you need to be in a hospital, but you can't tell them you're going there for detox. Just tell them your symptoms and <laughs> don't tell them you're probably withdrawing and you need to be detox. Because why not? Is there, is they there don't do detox? Oh, they just, they would, they would admit you. Yeah. Huh. And most of them still don't. Um, they're, uh, part of the reasoning is they don't have uh, addiction staff on site. Yeah. 
Um, whereas if you go to a residential treatment facility that has a detox, that's a much different uh, approach. But so, um, so anyways, a lot of the docs came on late, you know, to mm -hmm. the situation. We, we didn't work, there were very few doctors that we would work with and refer people to because they didn't know. They just didn't know enough. And yeah. so um, it was hard to find a doc. Now, the good thing is that a lot of them are learning. It's kind of by fire, you know, how to deal with this. Um, so they, so I think they want to be educated, you know. Um, it was really cool to see these docs buying this book, you know. And, oh, for uh, sure. I, I listen, I don't think that the doctors didn't intentionally overprescribe no. opiates. Okay. And, and I think that it's uh, a wonderful profession and, and an honorable one for sure. And I think that what happens is just like you described, I, I do have to say that some of the pharmaceutical companies um, with the pharmaceutical reps probably pushed pretty hard to get their products sold and oh, down, yeah. you know, and then, and then down goes, yeah. <laughs> down goes the process. But I, I don't have any facts to support that. So I don't want to point any fingers, but it just makes sense. I mean, it, no, you have, there are facts, there are facts out there. So if people watch the whistleblower 60 minutes has done a couple of episodes where um, Kapoor, he was uh, the owner of incest. I believe he's in prison right now, but he was pushing um, uh a opiate, heavy duty opiate and getting his sales force to find people who could, you know, doctors who had just got divorced and that really needed money and they were paying him money to go on vacations and do, you know, oh, I mean, there's some shady stuff that, yeah. that's on. and the whistleblowers is um, a, the head of the DEA who tried because the pharmaceutical companies lobby Congress to get laws passed. And so they, they actually made it easy for pharmaceutical companies to distribute. And the, the head of the DEA was trying to say, hey, look at this is what's going on. And he kind of got pushed out. And so he now, I believe, is helping people um, sue uh, pharmaceutical companies and yeah. um, people who have who were in the way and, and, and not doing what is right. So, you know, you can't get away with stuff like this. Eventually you're going to get caught. <laughs> Definitely. It's, it's just legal deal. drug dealing is all that it is. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, I, come on, there's just scoring at the office instead of yeah. on the yeah. street or wherever you're picking up the drugs, but right. same crap. I mean, right. let's, let's call it what it is. <laughs> it's in yeah. the scary thing is that, Addictive, they have uh, prime targets because the addict in them just gets pulled right out. Uh, meaning that you know yeah. you you fall into it, and right. it's um it's 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 really scary because it's one of those. I, every medicine cabinet has, I mean, most medicine cabinets have some form of pain, whatever it is, and right. it's right. it's a it's a real problem. And we, I had uh, when I was in the hospital, they they gave me. Uh, I want to say oxy. I don't remember, but it, I, I took one or two and I just threw them, I threw them out because it made me loopy and I didn't like it. Yeah. I guess I'm lucky in that regard because the addict right. in me could have fallen in love with that. And I would have been in a whole new pile of shit, but I, yeah. I thankfully I didn't, um, but it's scary. And they were doing it responsibly, right? I had a surgery and, and it was, I was in a ton of pain. So they were giving me a painkiller, but I could see how it could be abused and it's easier to get than, uh, 
cocaine or heroin and stuff. I'll tell you that. It's yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's so easy. And especially before with all the doctor shopping that was going on, we've got a little bit of a handle on it with prescription monitoring, but I yeah. think uh, in our state, I think we can only monitor what's in New Hampshire. So they, you know, you could drop over to Vermont or Massachusetts right. or Maine and, you know, go to the doctors. And Whenever I would do evaluations, I'd always say, okay, have you had any accidents? Have you been to the hospital? Okay. I want those documents. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Because absolutely, inevitably you find out they were at, you know, asking for more drugs or uh, they took too much medication or they wound up um, in the hospital because they were hallucinating or. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we're, um, I'm looking at chem-free sobriety on Amazon and I will have links so people can find it and read it and appreciate your wonderful book um, in the notes for the show. Uh, and your, one of your other book, uh, God is in the attic be available. If I'm not sure. Time. If I give you a time that I'm. Stuck, yeah, no, in fact, I, no, I, 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 I think say, you're right. I would say by the beginning of, uh, in January, I would say by January. Let's. That's get, awesome. Hopefully, and, it'll be out sooner, and I can let you know for sure. Well, that's. I was going to say we can do two things. Um, I'd love to have you back on the show to talk about that book. I will read it and have you back on the show, and we can spend some time talking about that. And then I will also update the show notes for this episode so they can find both books with a click, uh, right. which is which is very nice. Um, I have really enjoyed uh, having you on the show, and it's always fun to talk. Um, uh, about different aspects of recovery and addiction. So I, I really appreciate your perspective and, and thank you very much for sharing. You're welcome. And what folks should know is when, when this came out, um, I was blown away because it was the number one bestseller for new releases in two categories, alcoholism and drug addiction. And it was up in the top charts for like a month. So um, it's amazing. You know, Typically, I guess, you know, some people who have a lot of friends can get in that type, but it's not like I have a lot of friends. Um, I think that Amazon actually, because they were like playing with the price and I'm like, what's going on here? Why are you doing that? I didn't agree to that, did I? Right. And they're like, no, no, no. We just, they like your book and they want to sell it. And, and they're just seeing what the price, you know, how that might work with it. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So, you know. I really believe that um, this is a God-given book, that this book and the next book, um, everyone in this book, in Chemfree Sobriety, um, they all come from different paths too. There's not just, there's 12 people in 12 step, there's um, Christians, there's Buddhists, there's, uh, or people who follow Buddha, not they're Bo not Buddhist, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Buddhism, they follow Buddhism. And, you know, some, uh, one guy, you know, he just reads about recovery all the time and that's how he stays sober. So there's a, a variety of different ways people stay sober. Um, but one of the things I, I think most of them have in common is they have a belief in a power greater than themselves, which yeah. is kind of cool. So I, you know, uh, I couldn't, I agree with that so much because uh, in one of the things for me is when I finally had the, when I began the recovery process, I was struggling at the beginning, like everybody does. And I had a moment, uh, it's in episode one in my story, but it was a rainy day. I was on my walk. 
and the skies opened up just a little bit and some sun came down and, and hit me like right in the face. And, and I, I really believe that that was my higher power. That was my family in heaven, my father, my grandparents all coming down and giving me a hug. So you're going to make it, you're going to, you're going to make it. And, and I loved it. And it, and it, and it was the moment. And I was in recovery at that point, maybe three weeks, something like that. (laughs) And, and it, and it gave me the strength to say, you know what, I, I I can do this. I am making it as hard as it was. I I can, I'm making it. And it, and it's because of that moment, like I was in recovery, but I haven't in my mind, I didn't become recovered until that moment. And I still have the fight like everybody. I mean, I'm not saying that that was the day and it's been perfect bliss since then. It's not the case at all, but I could put the baggage down at that moment and feel I was just, it was a wonderful moment for me because that second was the second that I really became, I fell into recovery, which is just a, a very transitional time in my life. And it's been everything, hence the show that I have here and, and everything else. And, and, and I, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity, A, to be alive. Right. Um, and then, you know, B, to be able to share my story and hopefully help even one person. Um, right. So, and Suzanne, it's been so nice to have you on the show. So thank you very, very much. Thank you.